The subject is law. When do young people first meet the law? Well, often it's in the form of a policeman. All right, what about the police? Are they human? Do they understand the public? Does the public understand them? How do police talk about the public when they're having a discussion amongst themselves? Well, you'll hear just such a discussion on this record. And what about lawyers? What can they do for you? Sometimes they can do a lot. On this record, you'll actually be inside a juvenile jail and you'll hear a lawyer talking to a young girl who has been arrested during a riot and charged with looting and burglary. How much do you know about actually being on trial in court? A great many things can happen. We'll take you into a real courtroom where a boy with a bad record comes up against a judge who is understanding but also tough. These are some of the real voices you'll hear on the subject of the law, you, the police, and justice. First off, we'll be talking to some young people about fear, the fear that some people have of the police. These are high school students whom we met in a bowling alley. And then after that, we'll be out on a street corner in Chicago during a disturbance, talking to a policeman about brutality. I'm Miles Jackson, and I'll introduce some of the other subjects as they come up. Uh, you'll hear me or one of my associates ask a question once in a while. That's mostly what it is. People are generally afraid of the police? Generally? Most of the time, policemen are afraid of the po people, and the people are afraid of the police. But seeing how the people are more afraid of the police because they got the guns. So that's the way it is. You got a relation who's a policeman? A brother-in-law. I think that he thinks that the cops are more afraid of the people than the people are of the cops. He's actually told me that, you know, a lot of times they go into crowds, you know, and I mean, these crowds have more control over, the, over them than they do. Because, you know, like, they're supposed to be preventing looting and all this stuff, and a lot of times they can't. They have to just sit, you know, stand by and watch it. Because they're afraid. They're actually well, afraid of the people. Crowd. Anyone would be afraid in a crowd. But the thing is, when policemen gets a person alone... Oh, yeah! All right! You know, that's the attitude about, you know, like... They don't want you to say nothing back to them. You know, like when they ask you some questions and you try to talk to them, they be thinking you're trying to get smart, you know. You, like, you know, you ask them, could you ask them a question? And they say, no, nah, don't say nothing. Shut up, boy, and something like that. They don't want you saying nothing. But I feel that, you know, you should be able to talk man to man or something like that, discuss your problem. But they, they, they won't even let you talk to them. Like when we go to court. When you go to court, sometimes you can't even speak to the judge. Can't even tell him your feelings about what happened. A lot of people, when they have power in their hands like this, they'll take advantage of it. A lot of people will. That's true. There, there'll always be people like that. They will always take advantage of their power. trust you more often than not, or do they, or they distrust you, especially the young people? They distrust you. They don't like you. You could stop and talk to them, 
the way they talk to a policeman. When I was a kid, I never dreamed of talking to a policeman that way. Like what? They'll talk to you like your dog. You stop them. What are you stopping me for? What am I doing? What am I doing? Oh, what are you doing in the alley? Use the street. You don't tell me where to go. I have my rights. What are you, why, why aren't you in school? I'm 17 years old. I don't have to go to school. Then you wind up apologizing to him. A lot of times you feel like knocking him on. <laughs> but you know you can't do it, but they know you can't do it either. There are some policemen. Uh, I don't I mean, doubt that. There are guys who are uh, bullies and who, are, uh, who right. happen to have cops' uniforms. Isn't that right? Right, absolutely. And uh, you find most uh, majority of these uh, brutal policemen are frowned upon by their fellow workers. You know who they are? Oh, yes. They hate to work with them. For one thing, in this area, especially with a white officer, if he's brutal, other white officers will uh, bring it to the attention of the sergeant or the watch commander and says, well, uh, I can't work with this fellow because of different personalities. They don't want to just rat on the officer and tell uh, a supervisor that he's brutal and he's this, he's that, because it's something police officers don't do to each other. They just make the suggestion to be separated from him. Next, we'll be in the radio room at police headquarters in Gary, Indiana, where they have a new chief of police, a white man appointed by Gary's Negro mayor. The police in Gary are under new management, so to speak, and they're doing everything they can to improve their relations with the public. But, as you'll hear when a group of police officers discuss what the public thinks of them, the job ahead is not an easy one. Gary District 5 and 6, 908 Cleveland Street, second floor rear, signal 34. My name is Jim Hilton. I'm the chief of police of Gary, Indiana. Been on the police department 18 years. Charles Boone, I'm the assistant chief of police, a resident of Gary all my life. Captain Edward Barsley, I am in charge of the juvenile division of the Gary, Indiana Police Department. We are six members of the Gary uh, Task Force. My father was a police officer, city of Gary, for 13 years. It was always a desire of mine to be a police officer. Uh, I always respected policemen and law. This is the way I was raised. And uh, I had no idea that the public resented uh, authority and policemen as much as they do until I got on this job. They always tell you in school not to let the job become personal with you. However, being human, you know, you do at times tend to let it become personal. Like he says, you don't know the resentment that, that people have for you until you really come on the job. I think it's an exciting job, but unfortunately, uh, for the work you have to do, the hours you have to spend, and the money that you make, it's not appreciated. They just don't understand the police officer. Well, you can't go out and make split-second decisions that the Supreme Court and your judges and your lawyers have six weeks, six months, six years to think over and hash over and make opinions. And uh, this is something that people don't realize. You get out there on the street and things happen so fast, you have to make up your mind in a hurry. And sometimes this, this quick decision, uh, which at the time we may have thought was right, may turn out to be wrong. But after all, we are human. And uh, when you run upon an emergency situation, you have to take charge of the situation right away. Now, if you delay in your actions too long, 
you might as well not even be there. Uh, you've got two courses. Uh, uh, either you don't do anything or you exert your authority. But you're not going to satisfy the public. Either way you do it, you're not going to satisfy them. This is quite true. I mean, uh, especially in your domestic calls. Uh, basically, we're not even supposed to get involved in a domestic call because this is strictly between uh, husband and wife or girlfriend and boyfriend. Usually it's a civil, and it's not a criminal matter. We deal mainly in criminal. I can give you one good example. Uh, we received a call one day uh, of a husband and wife fighting. And when we arrived at the scene, uh, this is particular for these women who wonder why when the policemen arrive at the scene and they've been fighting with their husband, why the police don't take their husband to jail right away if the fight is over. This lady was standing outside of the house and she informed me that her husband had been fighting her. I told her that if her husband had struck her that uh, she could go to the prosecutor's office and get a warrant. She says, no, this guy beats me up every weekend, and I call the station every weekend, and you guys don't give me any satisfaction. I want this man arrested. I want, this, I want some satisfaction. I says, well, ma'am, if this happens every weekend, have you ever gotten a warrant? She says, no. But now what she feels to realize is uh, if she's fighting with her husband one minute, a couple hours later they're going to kiss and make up and everything's going to be all right. Then the policeman's on the spot. You see what I mean? Okay, uh, the woman was crying. It was cold outside. It was in the wintertime. She says, well, I see you guys aren't going to do anything. Uh, you policemen aren't nothing. Uh, as a matter of fact, she cursed us out. I says, well, what exactly what do you want us to do? She says, well, I don't care what you do. She says, I'm, I'm going to leave. She says, uh, I know if I go back up there, he's going to jump on me. She said, would you at least come up there and let me stay with me while I get my coat? So uh, we said, okay. Now, this is something that we shouldn't have did, but we said, okay. We went upstairs with her, she invited us into her house, and while she was getting her coat, she got behind my back, and she pointed her finger at her husband. She says, now, now, hit me now, hit me now. The policeman's there, now she wants to start a fight with him now, see? So then he ordered us out of his house, and uh, we told her to go to the bedroom and get her coat. Instead of getting her coat, she stood there and called her husband a whole lot of names, and uh, before you knew it, uh, he had jumped on my partner's back, and we had to subdue him. After we subdued him, then we had to fight with her. You see what I mean? Because she was on her husband's side then. Uh, uh, this is what I mean when I say you can't let these things become too personal with you. This is why I say, regardless of what you do, you're not going to satisfy anybody. You have to realize that we deal with a criminal element. I mean, we're not going to go out and pick on some old lady walking down the street. We deal with vicious people, with people with guns, knives, and uh, they're out to hurt you. And after all, uh, I have a family. I have to look out for the welfare of my family, myself and my partner, whoever I may be working with. And that if these people are going to act in such a way, I mean, uh, I see, I don't see any other way except, like they say, if, if he's going to exert force to me, I, well, I have to meet his force with force. And uh, it has to be greater force on my part if I'm going to do my job as a policeman to maintain law and order and at the same time to, you know, put, uh, maintain my safety. There's just no two ways about it. But it's not going that way anymore. They don't want you to exert uh, any force on the individual. He can beat you to a pulp, but still you're not supposed to raise a finger. And don't forget, all these problems that we run across with parents, children, and whatnot also have an effect on you as a policeman. You do take some of these situations home with you. They do leave a mark on you in some way. Because a policeman has nothing but trouble. He sees nothing but trouble. He talks nothing but trouble. He always has people crying around him or pleading with him. And if he doesn't watch himself, he can become very morbid himself. And occasionally he has to reassess his own situation and maybe get away for a while.
I had an occasion recently where one of my supervisors come in to me and, and to tell me that a man was sitting at his desk crying. I said, what is he crying for? He said, I don't know, but he's crying. That's a 40-year-old man. I went to his desk and I asked him, what is wrong? Why are you crying? He says, Ed, I've got so much to do. I'm lost. I don't know what to do. I, 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 I'm just disgusted. I don't know what to do. What was getting at him was that he had, very shortly before that, had to a close friend of his boy had gotten into trouble, and he had to be instrumental in sending this boy away. And it started to get him. I said, there's only one thing that I can tell you what to do. You pick yourself and go home. I don't want to see you for five days. When you come back, I want to talk to you. But I don't want you to be around here for five solid days. The man did. Come back in five days, he said, you know, that was the best thing ever happened to me. He said, I think I could start now and do a good day's work every day. But it had got to him. There's no doubt that there's a, there's a deep, wide chasm between the police department and the community as a whole. To a great extent, the station itself, you see, is a symbol. It's a symbol of uh, Gestapo methods and things of this nature. Police brutality comes into this. All these things, you see, had a basis in fact at one time and has been enhanced mostly by rumor. I think that once we start communicating with the total community, that uh, when they recognize what the truth is and, and what our intentions are, are, that I think there'll be a stronger rapport than has ever been before. So what it really amounts to is we've taken a long, hard look at ourselves, and, and, and uh, in many areas it wasn't very pretty. So I, I think that our job now is to, is to rebuild this thing. I think that uh, it, it's the ability to get the reason out, out there to show this big word we call concern for. I think that's the essence of it. We're going to have to uh, make sure in an, that, that our area of concern is expressed, uh, in this, especially in the, in, in the ghetto area where, where uh, a single mother or a widow may have five or six children living in one room, her water shut off, okay? That's definitely not a police problem. Yet, the frustration is such that it could very well end up as one in, a, in disorder, civil disorders. That it is an outrage to me, you see, when a child can't get to school because he can't get into the bathroom because the water's been shut off, or because of, uh, an animal, a slum landlord. As far as I'm concerned, it's the, 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 a slum landlord, a slumlord, is the worst creature in the country today. But, uh, I'm as proud as I can be of this town. I can see the potential, and I think the potential of this thing is going to answer questions. If, it's, if we do it right, and God knows we, we have to, it'll answer questions that people, from two people, never even heard of this town, you see? So I think that, that maybe out of all this previous despair, this sin, corruption, and all this, there, there, something maybe decent can come out of it. No 28 available, and it's 7th in Massachusetts, the rear of Goldblatt's. We're going now into a jail in Chicago where juveniles are held while waiting for trial. You'll hear a lawyer asking a young girl how she got arrested, and then he'll tell her what's going to happen next and how he can help. Hello, my name is Mr. Cohen. Do you, you know where I'm from? No. I'm a lawyer here. We're trying to, uh, to get you out of this situation. 
and I'm from Legal Aid across the street from the juvenile court here, okay? Uh, your mother came to us and said that she wanted us to be lawyers for you, and uh, we decided we'd come over and have a talk with you, okay? I just want to explain to you, we're free lawyers. It's not costing your mother anything in this particular case. That's what our job is. Uh, you live in the projects there, yeah. the housing projects? How many people live in your apartment? Five. Five? You and your mother and three other children? Yes. Uh, where's uh, your father? Are your parents divorced? No, separated. They're just separated. Is he living in the city here too? Yes. I see. And how old are you now? Fifteen. Fifteen. Uh, have you ever been in the juvenile court before? No. You've never been here. I checked the police arrest report and they say that there are four other charges on you previously a shoplifting charge in 1961, a runaway charge in 67, a runaway charge in 67, and a curfew charge in in uh, 67. I don't remember that curfew charge. I've never been picked up for curfew. You never were, huh? Okay. Uh, all of those were station adjustments. The police didn't charge you with that and send you to the court over here. No. On this case, they did. This is a, uh, a burglary charge, is that right? Yeah. What they have you here, the legal formalities, or they have you under a, an Illinois law, Chapter 38, Section 19-1, that says that if anybody goes inside of a building without authorization of going inside the building, and he has the intent inside to do a theft, that he's guilty of burglary. Now, that's what the police are charging you with. We are, there's a free lawyer to help put you in jail. He's called a state's attorney, and we're free lawyers, legal aid, to see if we can try and get you out of there, okay? The judge is the one who makes the decision. In this particular case, the complainant is Officer Green. He says he arrested you looting a cleaner's store uh, during the recent riots that we had here in the city. And the police report uh, says that you denied that. Is that correct? Right. You denied doing this? Yes. You didn't go in the store? No. You weren't in there? No. Were you at the scene? Yes. You were. Do you know who went in and, and did the, the looting? No, no, I don't. Was the uh, was the window broken when? Yes. Was there a grate? Had there been a grating across the window? Yeah, what you mean? You know that those metal frames that go across the window to stop people from getting in. Yes. Was that torn away? Yes. It was. Can you tell me how it happened and so on? Well, I don't know how it happened. Now, but you know, we was just going up there. So you and two other girls were walking along the street yes. around where all the housing projects are, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, then what happened? We, we saw everyone over there by the cleaners, and so we went over there before we can, you know, really get in. Everyone started running, and, and I got knocked down, and the, when the police come, before I can get up, PG arrested me. He did? Yes. You mean you were just lying on the sidewalk? Somebody uh, knocked you I down? When I got ready to get up. When How I got up, he put the gun across my chest, my chest, and he said, if I run, he's going to shoot, and he arrested me. Was it a pistol or a rifle? A rifle. You mean he had it in both hands, one on the stock and one on the barrel, and he pushed against your chest? Yes. Did he push you up against the wall? Yes. With your back against the wall? Yes. And then what did he do? He told me to move over, you know, another side. And um, he hit was one... Was it a white or a black cop? White. How and many he, of them were there? It was, let's see, three, I think. They travel in three or four in a car, I think, don't they, with yes. the riot helmets on? Uh-huh. Go ahead. And so he had hit one boy in the ribs. I think he had broke him, and we was trying to help help him, 
and he told us to let him lay there, and then he just told us to get in, get in the wagon one by one. Did anybody hit you? No. After that, did the policeman make you put your hands up against the wall? No. Did he search you? No. Did he search the boys? I don't think so. All right. After they uh, put you in the wagon, then they, where did they bring you? We um went to the Chicago Avenue Police Station. The district station, uh -huh. right? And then district we went, 18. And we went down to Lebanon State. And the then Central they, Police Headquarters? Uh-huh. Then they brought me here. To the jail for juveniles. Yes. And, and what did they do when you got here? They, they let you out of the wagon? Were you handcuffed? No. Were any of the people handcuffed? Well, the boys were handcuffed ever since... You were picked up Friday night on the first yes. night of rioting after Dr. King was killed, right? That's right. And then Saturday morning, they brought you here. Did you have a court appearance then that day? Yes. That was a custody hearing, just to see whether you should be held in custody or not, right? That's right. Was your mother present that day? Yes. So usually they, they require that the mother be present that day, and if the judge thinks that, that you will return, then he lets you out of jail that day. If he's afraid that you won't return or you're too bad a girl to, to come back on the right date that he sets, then he holds you in jail here. But of course the judges now are being very tight during this riot time. They're not letting really anybody go. They're letting some, but nobody, not too many people go home. Also, as you may know, there's no bond, no bail or no bond in the juvenile court here, so we can't your mother can't bring money here and bail you out. There isn't any allowed at all. Uh, so you've been here since Saturday, and we failed to get you out in the custody hearing, right? That's right. Uh, what, what's it like? Where have they put you? Are you up on one of the sections upstairs? Yes. One of the departments? How many girls are in your room up there? Um, let's see. About 20, 30. You live with about 20 or 30 girls in, in one dormitory room? That's right. And everybody has a separate bed, right? That's right. What are the, what are the beds made out of? I don't know. They're well, steel? They're, well, yes, but the, the mattress is like, you know, like a plastic on top of it. It is? Yes. I see. How are the rooms? Do you like being up there or what's it like? Well, I don't like it where I'm at now because uh, when one girl does something, everyone else gets in trouble for it. Yeah. What, what you mean is when somebody does something, they make the whole group uh, pay the penalty. Is that what you mean? Unless yes. that one person confesses. Yes. What kinds of things were people doing up there? Talking and, you know, that's about the only thing. Yeah. Uh, is it, what happens when you go to sleep at night? Do they lock you in the dormitory or is there a guard no. who stays there all it's, night with you? It's a guard that stays there. All night? Yes. And is awake? Yes. Yeah. Do the girls fight or throw things at each other? They're pretty good up there, huh? Yes. There's nothing too much that goes on, but I just don't like it. Do you go to school in here? Yes. It's the Chicago Board of Education runs a school in here, don't they, with special teachers? Yes. What kind of school did you go to today? What did they teach you today? Well, we did um, science and, and math and they let us write letters to you our wrote parents. letters. Did they mail the letters for you? Yes. Has you, did your mother come visit you? Yes. She she can come on Sundays and Wednesdays, right? Uh -huh. I see. Uh, are you a member of any clubs or groups that would sound good to a judge? Uh, you see, if we lose the case and, and they prove you guilty, 
we want to still try to get you out on probation, which means you can live with your mother and just once a month go and uh, speak to a probation officer. We don't want you to go to the, to the jail, you know, to the permanent jail, to the reformatory. And what kinds of things can we tell a judge about how you're a good girl? Do you uh, work with the Urban Progress Center, the Neighborhood Service well, Center there? During the summer, I do. What, what kinds of things do you do? Um, during the summer, I work for the NYCS school. The Neighborhood Youth Corps. Uh-huh. And, and they pay I, you for, for doing jobs yes. or what? Yes. What kind of job do you do? I worked in the office at school and half the, um, the summer, and then I worked, you know, as a hall guy. As a hall guy? Uh-huh. This is one of those federal programs, right? Yes, I think so. I see. Do you uh, work for your mother or do you help your mother out? Yes. What do you do? You know, I help around the house. And, and do you do babysitting for her? Yes. Yeah. When I talked to your mother, your mother said she wanted you to get out, she wanted us lawyers to get you out of jail very much, not only so you'd be out of jail, but because she can't go to work and earn any money because she can't, she's afraid to leave the rest of the children with your 12-year-old sister. I guess you're her babysitter too, huh? Yes. I see. Okay, is there anything else you, you'd like to tell us? No, I don't think Okay, so you deny absolutely being in this store, right? right? You weren't in there and you didn't see anybody go in there, huh? So was it already looted when you got there? Yes. Okay, very good. Now we're going to be in court for you. On, here, here's a card with my name on it. Chris Cohen. I'm from Legal Aid, and we're, we're trying to get you out of here. We're going to be in court for you on, you know what day you go to court? That day will be the arraignment. That day, that what that means is you'll come in there and you plead guilty or not guilty, and we'll have you plead not guilty, okay? Then they continue it for another two weeks or so, and we come back to court again, and then that day we have the trial, and they'll try to prove that you were one inside the store, and that you had two, that you had no authority to be inside the store, and three, that you had the intent to steal something while you were inside the store. That's what you have to prove for burglary in this state. Okay, good. I want to just ask you one little thing. We're interested in law. What, just tell me what you think law is. What's law? supposed to protect us. And what do the policemen do in your neighborhood? Nothing much. Do they hurt people? Well, not that I know of. Have you ever met a lawyer before? Ever talked with a lawyer before? No. Closely? Just tell me in your own words, what, what is a lawyer now? Well, <laughs> huh? It's a person that's supposed to help you get out of trouble when you're in it. You know. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> You want to get your own feeling on it. Where is a lawyer? Well, he's supposed to, you know, help you get out of whatever, you know, position you're in. Sometimes he helps you, I mean, you know, sometimes he just can't. That's all I have to say. Do you think you'll be treated fairly? 
by the court? I don't know. I might, might not. You've heard young people talking about the police, then the police talking about the public. And you've heard a lawyer talking to a young person who is in jail, waiting for trial. Now, we'll take you into a real courtroom in Gary, Indiana. You'll hear one kind of thing that can happen to a boy who breaks the law. And you can decide for yourself whether he deserved what he got and whether this experience taught him anything about the nature of law and justice. Everyone rise, please. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. Gary City Court is now in session. Honorable Judge Richard S. Kaplan presiding. You may be seated. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Good afternoon. Let's proceed with the work matters. What case is that? This is item number 30. 30, did you say? Yes. Oh, this is a waiver from the juvenile court. You have been waived over from the juvenile court on a charge of theft by shoplifting. How old are you, sir? How old? You know, of course, that you have a right to be represented by an attorney. You have a right to, con to have this matter continued. You have a right to plead guilty if you wish to, and you have a right to plead not guilty if you feel you're not guilty. Do you have your parents here? Yes. Where are your parents? Have you discussed this with your mother? What do you wish to do today? Do you wish to enter a plea or do you want a continuance in order to obtain the services of an attorney? All right, how do you plead to the charge of theft by shoplifting? Will you have your mother come forward, please? Senora, hablo usted inglesi? Un poco? Muy bien. Por favor, will you read the report? 26th day of January, 1968, the officer received a radio call. Read it very slowly, please, so the mother may understand it. The officer received a radio call. Upon arrival, they talked to the owner, who was holding this defendant. He stated that the defendant had come into a shop and tried out a pair of pants and brought the pants back to the owner's wife, stating that they were too big. When the owner's wife turned her back for a minute, the defendant walked out of the store, and the woman then noticed that the pants were gone. The defendant returned a short time later, and she asked him about the pants, and he stated that he had left them in the store. Upon investigation, the defendant stated to the arresting officers at the tailor shop that he didn't steal the pants but that he would pay for them to stay out of jail. He was then brought to the station. At the station, in talking to the defendant after he was advised of his rights, he agreed to talk to the officers. And while at first he denied the theft, he finally admitted that he did steal the pants. He told the officers that the pants were hidden under his bed at home. The officers then took the defendant to his home <coughs> where he turned over the pants to the officers. The pants were valued at $20. So you're not only a thief, but you're a liar. Why? You have nothing to say? Why did you steal the pants? They didn't belong to you. Why did you steal them? 
Well, I haven't got any money to pay for a Cadillac, but I'm not going to steal it. Does that mean that because you have no money, you have to go in and steal a pair of pants? If everybody went in and took what they wanted because they didn't have any money, this would be a crazy world, wouldn't it? Not the way your mother brought you up? No. Do you go to school? No. What do you do? Nothing. Nobody hires Why should they hire you? What do you know? Have you got a business? Do you know a trade? You what? I'm willing to learn. You're willing to learn. Why didn't you continue in school? Did they kick you out? No. Why did you stop? Didn't you know that they don't hire people that don't know anything? I know something. Huh? What do you know? I know what you know. You know how to lie. And you know how to walk it and steal. Now what else do you know? Are you a bricklayer? No. Are you a welder? No. Are you a plumber? No. No. Are you a comptometer operator? No. Are you a good carpenter, a cabinet maker? No. What do you know? Nothing. Just a smart kid making your mother and father miserable. Your father working? Huh? He's dead. He's dead. What does your mother do? She works. She works. And you live with your mother? She's been supporting you. How many children are there? Ten. How many? Ten. Ten children? And that little woman works to support ten of you, then you go out and steal. You're a wonderful boy. Nice boy. How long do you live in Gary? You were born here? Well, you can be proud of yourself. What do you expect this court to do, let you get away with it? I don't like thieves. There's no reason in the world and no excuse in the world why you should be going out stealing. Tomorrow you're not going to have any money either, so you're going to steal something else. And next month you won't have any money, so you're going to steal something else. Do you know why they waved you over here? Because the juvenile court felt that there are absolutely no reasonable prospects for rehabilitating you. Not a chance in the world. They think you've just become a first-class criminal. The juvenile court feels that way. They've arrested ten previous times. How many? Ten. Ten previous times. Third time in boys. You didn't learn anything there. It's unfortunate, very unfortunate for you that we do not have an intermediary place where they could put you to work and teach you a trade and keep you locked up for about two or three years while they're teaching you. Unfortunately, this great country of ours or this great state of ours hasn't got money to try to teach you something. But I'm not going to let you go out and steal more. Your mother had 10 children to support. She has nine now. 180 days in the Indiana State Farm, $300 in costs. And you'd better make up your mind, young man. I know you. I know how you think. I know the look in your eye. I know exactly how you feel.
I know more about you than you probably know about yourself. And you'd better make up your mind why you're in the penal farm. That you're going to change one way or another. That you're going to listen to the law. You're going to study in night school. You're going to get your diploma. If not, you're going to go somewhere to work for nothing if necessary to learn a trade. Because nobody owes you a living. Nobody. They give you the opportunity, you wouldn't take it. You're going to have to make up your mind. If not, when you get out, you'll start it all over again, and you're going to land in prison. Nobody ever gave me that. Huh? Nobody gave you what? Nobody gave you a chance? You mean they wouldn't let you go to school? That's right. Who wouldn't let you go to school? Did the authorities keep you out of school? Why? Because you came from boys' school. Well, now, they didn't want you around there. Why did you go to boys' school? I learned my lesson that day. Did you go to night school? Did you try to get to night school? I tried to work. Huh? I tried to work. Where did you try to work? Phoenix. What happened? They found me because of my record. Because of your record? Well, so long as you think that everybody is against you, I'm going to prove to you that you don't know what you're talking about, that you're still lying. I'm talking about. If I give you 180 days in your pocket right now and let you go out and try to get a job, what will you do then? I've done the job. Where? I was supposed to go today. Today? Where? I was supposed to go to car wash. Car wash. And what are you going to learn being a car wash? I want to see another man get a better job. If I give you a chance, what will you do with that chance? Take it. Will you? And double-cross me, too? If I ever come back, you can double it. If you ever come back. You see, son, I know just how you feel. Here's a judge sitting up there that doesn't need anything, never knows what I went through. But you're so pitifully wrong. I was kicked around even worse than you were. From the age of seven, I had a skimp and worked like a dog, and they called me everything on earth. Only I didn't feel sorry for myself. I fought hard, and my family didn't have enough to live on, but I worked. I tried to work. But you got yourself in an awful mess before you went to work and established yourself with a bad record. Nobody gives me a chance. All right. I'll make up for it. I'll give you the chance. Think I'm against you? Think I'm against you? But if I give you this chance, am I against you? I don't think you would. Huh? I don't think you would. Well, let the bond stay as it is. I'm going to withhold the execution of this sentence and the fine and cost until August 23rd. You're going to be out of here today. You will leave with your mother. I want you to report back here August the 23rd. Will you remember that date? Yes, sir. Mother, do you understand what I'm trying to do? Will you help your son? Do you go to church? What church? 
Can you go with your mother? If somebody wants to give you a job and wants to know about your record, tell them to call me. And I'll help you. Young man, the judge is not the cruel man that you think he is. He tries to do justice. You feel that you've never had a chance. You've had a lot of chances, excepting that you've wasted a lot of chances. You've thrown them away. You haven't used your head. I could send you away today, and you'd be gone for the next eight, nine months. Let's see what happens to you. All right? Can I depend on you? Mr. Rule, take this boy in hand. Have him report to you. Give him such help as he requires. If an employer calls, see what you can do. I have a sneaking suspicion that this boy can become a decent citizen if given an opportunity. I'll give you that chance. Okay, son. What do you say? Okay, son. Take your son home and see what you can do with him. That boy you just heard in court, how did he feel before the trial, before meeting the judge and being sentenced? And how does he feel now when the judge has decided to give him a break? He'll tell you about this himself. At first, you know, when I went there, I, this lady, she was out there for the same thing I was, remember? A lady that got picked up for shoplifting. You know, when the judge gave her that, I was going to, you know, run out. We went downstairs and I told my mother I was going to leave. You know, I wasn't going to face the judge. You know, because he gave her the same amount of time and everything. Six months and $300 fine. You know, I went downstairs and I was talking to my mother and told her I was going to leave. She told me I might as well stay. She said I might as well stay and face it. Because, you know, when I run, they're going to get me. Sitting there, when you decided to sit and face it, how did you feel then? I just sat there. You know, I wouldn't, I couldn't think. You know, I was just too scared to think or anything. I didn't want to say nothing. I just let him throw it all on me. And then that's when I, you know, I finally told him that nobody gave me a chance. I just came out. I don't know, with, with no thought or nothing. But it helped me. Since he gave me a chance, now I take and I'm going to prove right to him. Judge Kaplan changed his mind in the middle of a trial in this case. Why? Did it have anything to do with the difference he sees between law and justice? Yes. I was about to send him away. I gave him 180 days and $300, which is the maximum. I was watching this boy. He was hard. He was tough. He was resentful. And then it comes out. Here's a young boy, 17 and a half now, probably the age of 12, 13, his father having died, mother with 10 children to raise, Mexican parentage, even though he was born here. So he starts taking little things. Eventually, they send him to boys' school. Ten times he's been in trouble. Stays in boys' school, they let him go. Now the juvenile court says he's not rehabilitative. Can't get a job. If he gets a job, they fire him because he has a record. They won't take him back to school, which I think is all wrong. They won't let him back in school because of his record as a kid. I thought he was tough. And then I noticed out of the corner of my eye 
a tear dropping out of his eye, and a second one, and a third one. That kid's heart was breaking. He wanted to be tough. He couldn't. He was hurt. Now, you asked me what's justice. You asked me how I feel. At that particular moment, I could have died inside of me. Am I going to let my decision stand and send him away? If I send him away, he's going to meet some of the toughest cookies that you've ever met. He's going to meet all frustrated, bad criminal elements in that penal farm. Older men, drunks, drug addicts, alcoholics, homosexuals, whatnot. He's going to meet them all. At the end of eight, nine months, he's going to come out incensed against the world, truly bitter. What have I done to this boy? I've taken him out of circulation for nine months. What have I done to this boy? Have I destroyed every hope for his future? Have I helped him in any way? No. Now, I know from experience of many years that these tough cookies don't cry. They're just hard. But this boy cried. He wept. And that's when I changed my mind. He hasn't had a chance, so you heard it. He doesn't believe I'll give him a chance, but I fooled him. Now he knows there's somebody that cares about him. Now, there, now he knows that even though his father's dead, that there's somebody who's willing to help. Now he knows that if somebody is bothered about his past record, we'll go to bat for him. I'm willing to take that gamble. A human life is, is worth the gamble. It's worked out beautifully. Many, many, many of these cases. I say the vast majority. Where I have changed my mind in the middle of the stream, as it were, I find out it works out very well. My probation officer will work with him. We'll do everything in our power to convince him that somebody cares about him. And if he gets a job so he can earn a living, to get to the things that a boy needs, then I'm going to bat to try to get him into night school. I will do it personally. They will listen to me. I have to fight with the school board all the time. And I've gotten boys back even though they said no. If the boy goes back to night school, he has a chance of getting his high school diploma. Changes everything. By the next year or two, we're going to have our vocational high school here our vocational school for dropouts, where they're going to be able to t learn trades, television uh, repairmen, radio repairmen, plasters, bricklayers, plumbers, and so forth, the things that I asked him. He knows nothing, but he's going to be able to get it. We'll be able to get him in there. Let's see. I've continued it till August. Meanwhile, he's going to report back. We'll see what we can do. Uh, I may have be the reputation of being tough and hard, but there must be a degree of compassion for people who are presumed to be innocent until they are proven guilty. This is, I insist upon. Law is more than merely punishment. Law is thinking of society in general. And I'm not going to destroy a man for the sake of satisfying the law. That becomes vengeance. And when the law takes vengeance, it is no longer justice. Get the picture. Law are rules of conduct. Nothing more nor less than rules of conduct in a civilized society. 
But besides the rules of conduct, you must understand that not everybody can conform to certain rules because of the pressures of human life. There is a lack of motivations, lack of dialogue, lack of understanding, lack of education, environmental, all of these things. What do they know about it? But most judges are politicians. Most judges are lawyers, they run for the office, which I oppose violently. And uh, you must dig in. You must treat every case as an individual human being. You cannot put them in the same category. Get the point?